Welcome to the Quillette Podcast. My name is Claire Lehman and I am Editor-in-Chief of Quillette. Quillette is where free thought lives. We are an independent grassroots platform for heterodox ideas and fearless commentary. Our podcast is a team effort and is jointly hosted by myself, Associate Editor Toby Young and Canadian Editor Jonathan Kay. You can support our podcast by visiting patreon.com forward slash Quillette and becoming a monthly patron. By becoming a monthly patron, you'll also receive our weekly newsletter. Welcome to the Quillette Podcast. I'm Quillette's Canadian editor, Jonathan Kay. When we think of the arenas in which today's culture wars play out, the kind and gentle world of knitting is not the first image that comes to mind. And yet, as Scottish writer Catherine Jebson Moore has been documenting this year for Quillette, knitters seem to be just as vulnerable to social justice mobbings as anyone else. For the victims, the stakes are surprisingly high. In some cases, prominent knitting designers have even had to shut their social media accounts, which often serve as their most important marketing tools. For listeners who, like me, have no connection to the knitting world, this all may sound like the fictional premise to a Christopher Guest movie like Best in Show or A Mighty Wind. So to learn more, I spoke to Catherine Jebson Moore about her articles and what she's learned about the people who have turned such an unlikely hobby into a venue for hate and hysteria. Catherine, how did you first get exposed to this, to my mind, crazy Instagram world of not only people who love knitting, but who are strangely political about knitting? I have knitted nearly all my life. Uh, I really started knitting again when I had my uh, first child about 12 years ago. And so I've been on Instagram for a few years. I follow quite a few different knitters. And I think it was in about January, I noticed the mood sort of changing a bit. And there was a lot more talk of racism. And But sorry, I just for somebody who's not into knitting, like, what is the way you get from knitting to politics? Explain to me even how that connection gets made. Well, I don't really know who started it. But I think there's a lot of academics involved in creative things like knitting. So I think they just take what they've been immersed in maybe from academia and they just transfer that to what they're doing so you know they think issues like uh, white supremacy is everywhere so even in knitting yeah they started talking about representation and how it mattered that designers were people of color you originally wrote about the so-called instagram wars back in february am i right that involved someone describing their trip to india yeah, that's right. There was a blogger who talked about her upcoming trip to India, and she compared that to going to Mars in a fairly innocuous way. But this was very quickly uh, picked up on by by her followers, who were saying, how can you compare India to Mars? They're not aliens. Um, they're people too, that sort of thing. She definitely hadn't meant any harm with this. But, you know, in their world, intent doesn't actually matter. It's... Um, is what you're doing, and she should be held accountable for that. And so she had to apologize. This is one of the interesting things about this is uh, it seems that all of these controversies end with some kind of almost religious style, like ritualized apology to the community and to everyone they've allegedly hurt. But I'm curious, what happened to this woman? She managed to survive the whole thing by apologizing quite quickly and saying that she needed to learn more um, she would do the work. She would become anti-racist. Uh, yeah, she just groveled um, to them. And I think she was forgiven. But she's still being held as an example in the community of 
what you shouldn't do, really. But, but the person who seems to have come out of that the worst is is somebody who was quite prominent, who sort of who was alarmed by the by her treatment. Could you tell me a little bit about uh, who that person was and what treatment they received? Yes. Yeah, so after this um, uh, blog incident, there was an American wool dyer called Maria Tuscan who actually spoke out in a video about this and said she didn't really want to get involved in this. She shouldn't. She didn't think we should point fingers at people. We shouldn't uh, let this, these politics get into the world of knitting. Which and, sounds like good advice. Yeah, probably. But the, the people who are the loudest, you know, people who agree with that wouldn't really say anything. It, you'd only hear from people who disagreed. And so she was completely shunned. She had to make her um, Instagram account private. There were quite hateful words circulating in people's stories. So these stories are temporary posts on Instagram that, that are only there for 24 hours. And people would copy other people's stories. So they would sort of amplify the messages. And they would call uh, Maria Tuscan a Nazi and white supremacist. And uh, all because she just said she disagreed with their methods. She said, well, I'm not a racist. I Definitely, you know, I want to include everyone. And um, she just thought this focus on race was just, did belong in knitting. And just to be clear, Mary Tuscan is the yarn dyer who sort of came to the rescue or tried to of this lesser known woman who had talked about her forthcoming trip to India. Yeah, that's right. She just stepped in and said, look, we shouldn't do this. Um, the knitting community shouldn't get tangled up in this. But the backlash for her was quite immense. All of this is background to your newest article for Quillette in which you talk about uh, the case of Kate Davies. Well, there's a pattern here that these, these all seem to be women. Is, is this, am I right that this community is overwhelmingly female? Yeah, there's not many men involved in this. Kate Davies, who it sounds like in the, the knitting and the yarn community, she's well known. A tragic backstory that, that you talk about, that she had a stroke at the age of 36, uh, ended her career as a literary academic, started a new business in, in Scotland, which is, is where you're based, and, and has really prospered in her new career. She's won awards. She sounds actually quite progressive in her politics. She talks about sustainability. She's a campaigner for disabled people. It's hard to imagine someone like this being targeted by progressive critics on Instagram or anywhere else, but, but somehow she became a target. How did that happen? She was a very unlikely target, you'd think, you know, being disabled and a woman. As you say, she was uh, campaigning for disabled people. She's made a, a book um, all about how to cope with disability. But, you know, there's a sort of hierarchy of privileges. And she, although she is disabled, she's a white woman. So being white is, I suppose, the main, the worst <laughs> crime you can commit in this whole saga. So she didn't really say much at all about racism. Um, and she was then contacted by several of these social justice warrior knitters who wanted a statement and wanted to know what her what was her stance on this and what was she doing actively to become anti-racist and her response was to post a statement where she said that she didn't think social media was the was where she wanted to fight this she said i do I do a lot of work with my employees. I'm uh, I'm very inclusive in my work and I, I, I got other platforms to do this. I don't really want to just have to copy your words and do exactly, basically, I don't, don't want you to dictate to me what I'm meant to do. I'm, you know, I'm still a progressive, good person. I'm just, I just don't want to sign up to this ideology. 
you uh, you included a, a quote from from what she wrote, and and if I may, I'd just like to read it. Uh, she says, "It is my own political decision to choose not to speak from the particular social media script that has repeatedly been presented to me, to carefully listen to marginalized voices rather than to shout, to not participate in acts of shaming and intimidation." and to refuse to engage with those who insist that the only way I can effectively demonstrate my anti-racist solidarity is by continually displaying it in my Instagram stories. Wow, like I, it seems like a very lucid description of how ordinary people would approach this issue, especially if they're coming to a forum where they're just looking to talk about knitting as opposed to, uh, to social justice. But, but this was taken to be a sort of thought crime, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. Um, so after that... Um her her statement was actually taken down after 24 hours because it just this was almost like stoking the fire the statement um you'd think that this maybe would appease them but actually uh, that it really got them very angry so um she had to delete her instagram and just to be clear this instagram account like it's a business tool for somebody who's in that uh, field marketing yourself on social media now it's not just an optional it's really quite important so um, she had 75,000 followers and she withdrew from that. And she also withdrew as a speaker for, uh, from the Edinburgh Yarn Festival, uh, citing health reasons. Okay, so I have to stop you there. Edinburgh Yarn Festival, that's a real that's, thing? I think it's the world's biggest yarn festival. So that's when it is from all over the world meet every year here in Edinburgh uh, to buy wool, to meet the designers, to see what's new in the world of knitting. And there was a big campaign to cancel her because, and also to to cancel the festival itself because they didn't have enough people of colour as speakers or vendors at the event. And, you know, Edinburgh and Scotland, it's a pretty... Uh, Scotland's always been a, quite a homogenous country. So, I mean, to even expect that there would be... I don't know what they would expect, you know, in terms of percentages, but, I mean, how many black uh, people do you expect there to be in, in Edinburgh at a yarn festival, it's um, it's a little bit mind-boggling. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about some of the people who took the lead in attacking Kate Davies. One of them, you describe her, her name is Helen Kim, describes mm-hmm. herself as an anti-racism advocate, uh, aren't we all, and an astrophysicist. Uh, you yeah. also, well, you talk about uh, somebody else, Isolde Teague, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that properly, who's an Edinburgh-based knitting designer. Uh, and, and there's a few others who it sounds like they took the lead in um, in leading the, the witch hunt against Davies and others. What do you think is the, the motivation? Like, what's going on here? What I notice is, is that it's the same group of people who are involved in every single witch hunt. So after a few weeks um, on one issue or one hunting down one person or business, they move on to the next and I think it's a sort of uh, friend uh, friendship thing, actually. They all know each other quite well. They meet up at the Edinburgh Yarn Festival, take photos with each other. They repost each other's stories. They communicate. And it's a sort of girl gang in a way, I think. You know, it's uh, they like, they show each other a lot of support. So after my article was up, for example, they would all sort of say, we stand behind you, we're with you. But they're, um, not, they're not standing by you, they're standing by... With each, by each other, denouncing, you know, any criticism is obviously just white supremacy uh, in action. So um, 
also I think there's a bit of uh, sometimes a bit of competition. So Isolde Teague, for example, she's a competitor really of Kate Davis. She's a Scottish designer as well. And she was actually stocking her books. But after the scandal with, well, what they thought was a scandal with um, Kate Davis uh, and uh, her white silence, she said, well, I decided not to sell her books anymore. And um, I don't know what to do with these books now. (laughs) So I think in a way, you know, it's a way of getting rid of your competition. What you're describing sounds a little bit like kind of a mean girl clique in in middle school or high school does it have similar social dynamics to that although i guess the difference would be that that mean girls in in middle school or high school don't pretend to be victims whereas here there's this odd reversal what they're sort of pretending that words hurt them and that this white silence is a kind of oppressive force it seems like an odd mixture of aggression and passive aggression yeah i think there's a lot of different strange dynamics going on here um i mean it's a whole new way of speaking and thinking about things I think you know that words of violence and not speaking up is the same as being complicit and I mean it's a very fine line to thread for these people so sometimes they even they go a little bit wrong and then they're sort of then they get pulled up for that. What's strange about this is the way it interacts with a sort of um, jealousy at, at, at success which I guess we were talking about it before because I'm looking here, uh, you quoted in your article, there was a statement from Kim, uh, this is Helen Kim, who's was one of the ringleaders in, in attacking Kate Davies. She made a statement, she said, uh, to those who worry about Kate Davies' career and the impact, perhaps you should consider that historically, people of color have been the ones who have been wronged and oppressed. Uh, and then she goes on to say how Kate Davies is, is white. Uh, As a white woman knitwear designer with over 75,000 followers and international renown, Kate Davies is not vulnerable. Rather, she was in a position of power. It seems like this is intersectionality at work in the sense that if you are successful and you happen to have white skin uh, or you're middle class, eventually you're going to be a target because your real crime is success. Is, Is that part of it? Yeah, I think so. I think it's quite thinly veiled jealousy, actually dressed up as justice and social justice. Um, um, yeah, I think that's a big part of it. When I forget if it was Helen, uh, but, but when one of these um, witch hunters got called out, uh, the card they played was, I think they said something to the effect of, uh, right now I'm under attack from an, an alt-right journalist. Um, and, and people expressed sympathy for them. They said, oh, oh, oh no, how, how terrible. And it turned out to be you. Are, are you an alt-right <laughs> journalist? <laughs> no, I, I definitely don't see myself as that. Um, uh, that actually made me laugh in a way because um, I know that's not true. And I think everyone who knows me know, will will agree with that. Um, but yeah, I think that's the way they're sort of spinning their own fable about, uh, about what I've written about them. Is That's almost worthy of a story itself because uh, it was quite funny uh, once they discovered the first story and also the the second one i mean uh, they just the, their first advice to everyone was don't look up the story don't read it don't mention the publication's name this is a white supremacist the work of a white supremacist we mustn't give this website any clicks if you read it you know it was almost, almost threatening people uh, so that they wouldn't look it up for themselves so they sort of treat their followers like um, 
little children who can't think for themselves. I mean, that does further the idea of this as a sort of religious cult. They're describing it as sort of prohibited literature, which will contaminate their minds. Yeah, that's right. Um, so they made this out to be an attack on them, when in fact it's just telling the rest of the world what's been going on and what they've brought up, what they've been doing in public. I mean, it's it's uh, it's public information. So it's they've been very happy to um, to say all this, but then once it's out there, you know, obviously they feel bad for being exposed. Um, they just turn it back and say we we're being attacked here, and statements like, "Oh, I'm worried about." Um, my family and uh, because the local alt-right, you know, are now after me. I find it quite comical, but these people actually, it seems as if they almost, you know, they actually believe this. Knitting is the sort of thing that like your therapist will say, oh, this is a nice relaxing thing to do. And I've heard it said that it is very relaxing, even though I don't do it. Um, has this episode affected your ability to just relax and take joy from knitting? Or is the hobby now... Uh, indelibly connected to these toxic politics? No, I think I'm able to separate the two, but um, all the, obviously all this lurking around on Instagram has sort of affected the, <laughs> the time I have available to knit. But um, uh, yeah, after this, I think I'm just going to immerse myself in my knitting for a little while because it's it's pretty toxic reading all this. Uh, I mean, it's, uh, you know, you say it's, it's therapeutic to knit, and I think maybe that's why many of these people are actually drawn to it because... Um, I'd hate to sort of diagnose anyone, but um, it's pretty disturbed stuff that you read and you think, well, maybe, you know, there's a reason that they're drawn to knitting because they actually need to de-stress. But uh, sadly, I don't think knitting's completely solved it for them. So they sort of take it out in other ways. Um, Is there a blog or social media page where listeners can see your own knitting designs and call you out for your incorrect political opinions? <laughs> well, I made sure to make <laughs> to make my Instagram profile uh, private for the moment. But um, I mean, I've been fine for months. Nobody's actually I think, you know, these people, they say they're pretty aggressive. But I think most of what they're doing is just v sort of virtue signaling. So they're talking to each other about how virtuous they are. Uh, they're not, you know, they, because I'm not a big designer, there's no point uh, going after me, I think. Well, thank you so much for enlightening us about this fascinating and horrifying subculture. And we look forward to your next contribution to Quillette. Thank you very much. Pleasure speaking to you. If you would like to support Quillette, please consider becoming a patron. Head to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com forward slash Quillette. If you haven't already, follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Do you like what you're hearing? Perhaps you would like to read more about the issues in today's discussion. Head to quillette.com where you will find more content.